I'm so grateful that you are here today with us this morning, uh, worshiping with us, singing with us, and hearing from God's Word together. I'm also thankful for those of you who may be watching online. I would like to introduce you to a prospective new member of our church. This is just hypothetical, but I, I have a new member I'd like to introduce to you. This new member will attend every single church service. This member will be at every special event that we have. They'll want to go on every mission trip. They will faithfully give 10% of their income to the church. They will serve in a variety of church ministries. They'll follow a Bible reading plan for their classes or their small groups. They'll memorize scripture verses. If asked to do so, they will pray in public. This person will say they believe the Bible is true. They believe that heaven and hell exist. In their spare time, they listen to sermons online and they read blogs about spiritual matters. This person never gets drunk. This person is not addicted to pornography. They never use swear words. They spend time with their family. They're patriotic, involved in the community. They vote the right way, whatever that means for you. This sounds like a person that we may want to have a part of our church, but what if I told you that this person that I described was actually headed for hell, headed for eternal separation from God? Because deep down, this person believes that what he does, the rules he follows, the lifestyle that he lives, that is what is most important to God, rather than what God actually says in his word, that what is most important is having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What this person has done is they have elevated the fact that they keep, that they follow the standards and rules of Christian subculture, that they follow the Christian traditions. They think that is more important than the truth of God's Word. And it's that kind of attitude that Jesus is going to address today in our passage. We're studying in the Gospel of Mark, learning about who Jesus is. And in Mark 7, 1 through 13, he's going to have a conflict with some religious leaders called Pharisees. Now, this story is also in Matthew chapter 15, another gospel, but here in Mark, it helps us really see who Jesus is. That's what we've been seeking to discover, who is Jesus. And we can see that by what he does, by what he says about what he believes, but we can also learn who he is by what he stands against and what he opposes. And we're going to see that in this passage today. He's going to have two issues with these Pharisees, these religious leaders. We're going to focus on one today, and we'll hit the other later. But today we're going to see that there is a difference between God's Word and tradition, and that just living by tradition is not true worship. It's actually pride. And living by tradition leads us to break God's Word. So instead, we're to live by what God has said rather than what man says. So if you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We're looking at verses 1 through 13. If you want to look that up, it will be on the screen. If you want to use the blue Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, I believe it starts on page 1001. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Big 7, and then little 1 through 13. And once you are there, if you are able, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's word and follow along. I'm going to read our passage for today. Again, Mark 7, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It begins this way. 
Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, that's Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, again Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? In verse 6, he, Jesus, said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that that is, that means given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. Thus, you're making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at these hard words from Jesus, I pray it would solidify in our minds that there is a difference between tradition and your word. May you give us the wisdom to see and recognize that difference. Lord, teach us to avoid basing our lives solely around tradition because that is not true worship and it's spiritual pride. Lord, may our traditions not lead us to reject your word, but instead may we live by what you have said rather than what other men say. God, I pray that you would give us your wisdom as we look at this text this morning. May you help us to see your son clearly, see his desire to have a relationship based on your word and your truth, a relationship not based on what we have done, but what he has done for us on the cross. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus, that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a couple of truths that are brought out in this text that I'd like us to look at. The first is that there is a difference between God's Word and tradition. There is a difference between God's Word, the Bible, and tradition. In this passage, we are introduced to the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. Both of these groups are religious officials of the day, and they are investigating Jesus. They're investigating his popularity. We're told that they came from the capital city of Jerusalem. That's about 90 miles away from where Jesus is now. They want to see this preacher, this healer, see what he is all about. As verse 1 says, the Pharisees and the scribe gathered to him with some of the scribes 
who had come from Jerusalem. And we've seen these groups interact with Jesus before. We saw it, for example, back in chapter 3. And we also saw that they are not the biggest fans of Jesus. They probably came this time with their minds already made up, and lo and behold, they did not like what they saw. What they see are that Jesus' disciples, they eat with defiled, unwashed, or unholy hands. And we're told that in verse 2, and then in verses 3 and 4, Mark very helpfully gives us an explanation so we can understand what's happening here. Mark is probably not writing to a Jewish audience, he's writing to Gentiles, and so he helps explain for them why is this significant. Now when he says about them washing their hands, he's not talking about washing hands in terms of hygiene reasons for health. And it would be inappropriate to use this text to say, so you should never wash your hands and you should ignore health precautions when people are sick or there's illness. We should throw that away. That's not what this passage is about. It's about religious tradition and ritual. He's referring to the fact that the Jews of the day held to this unwritten code, these instructions that they believed were passed down orally that weren't written down, but that God spoke to Moses and Moses told someone who told someone and they passed on this unwritten code of rules. In fact, this set of rules wouldn't even be written down until 200 years after Jesus was on earth. It eventually was, but it wasn't here. And to be clear, if we went to the Old Testament law in God's word, it does talk in a few places about washing hands, But that's something assigned to the priest, the spiritual leaders, that they were to do it before they served in the temple or in the tabernacle. But the scholars of the day, they said, no, this is something that everyone has to do. And they extended it to almost every circumstance. Look at the words of the passage. The Pharisees and all the Jews in in Mark's day, they do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and even dining couches. They had to wash their hands in a particular, a special way. Again, it's not for cleanliness reasons for eating. It's part of their religious ritual. They had to do it properly, ceremonially. They washed their utensils. They even washed where they were going to eat. And if you remember a second ago, I said that later, 200 years later, they wrote all these instructions down. And if you were to put this whole section about washing into one book, it would be about 35 pages long, 35 pages of instructions. Here is how you are to properly wash everything every day. Now, we can be very harsh about that, but let me give them the benefit of the doubt just for a second. The original goal of this was good. The original goal was for God's people to be pure before him, to be focused on God, to be thinking about him, that their life should revolve around him, and that God called his people to live holy, to live separate lives, to live differently from those around them. That was the original goal, but this good goal had instead been twisted. It had been twisted into a rote ritual. This is what we do into this thing that you could easily see if somebody was washing their hands. It's much easier to see and enforce than whether somebody's worshiping God from their heart. And so a sincere desire to worship God morphed into legalism. And legalism means a spiritual life that's based on keeping rules. 
and where God intended for his people to be free and his priests, his leaders to be pure. Instead, the Pharisees, the scribes, they bound everyone, all of their consciences by this tradition. And they are very proud of their rituals and very eager to defend them. And so in verse 5, they ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk? Why do they not live according to this tradition of the elders? But they eat with these defiled hands. In other words, they're saying, why don't your disciples follow our age-old rules? What they're really trying to do is convict Jesus. They're trying to get people to see that In their mind, Jesus breaks God's law because he does not require his followers to follow this rule and wash their hands. He does not require them to hold to this tradition of the elders. They're really accusing Jesus. Jesus doesn't care about God's holiness. If he did, he would follow these rules. But the truth is the disciples are not breaking God's word. These requirements were not in Scripture. They are only not following this much later tradition. But these traditions were so ingrained to the Pharisees, to the scribes, that they treated them the same as God's word. And we see elsewhere in scripture, they are completely astonished when Jesus doesn't follow their rules. We see in Luke 11, Jesus is speaking and a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Jesus went in, he reclined at his table, and the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. That's how ingrained it was. Now in our text we're looking at today, Jesus is revealing to them that God's word is different from man-made traditions. This was just a tradition they had. It was not what God said in his scripture, and God's word is more important. The Pharisees, though, they used these traditions to compare themselves to others, to view them as better than other people, and Jesus will use these traditions to condemn them. And he does this by pointing out to them that living by tradition, making tradition most important in your life, that is not true worship, and instead that is actually pride. It is not true worship, but pride. Jesus responds to their question with a quote from the Old Testament. He quotes a prophet Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 29, 13, and he tells them Isaiah was right to critique those who had the same attitude that they do. And he calls them hypocrites, someone who pretends to be one thing when in reality there's something else. They pretended to be holy, but Jesus says you're actually far from God. Look at verses 6 through 8. Jesus said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy, speak about people like you hypocrites. As it is written, here's his quote, this people, God speaking, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And God says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then Jesus himself speaks again and says to them, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. We see in his quote the two issues he's addressing. On the one hand, he says about how their heart is far from God, and that's what we'll get to later. But what we're looking at this week is that they teach the commandments, the human rules, the ideas, the traditions of men the same as they do God's truth and his doctrines. 
And Jesus says, when you do that, the result is you're actually leaving. You are laying aside, ignoring, neglecting God's commands in order to teach your human tradition. And by layering up these traditions, they were actually doing spiritual damage to other people. They were creating an impossible standard. Later, Jesus will speak to them again, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! What you're doing is you are shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. They set such a high impossible bar that no one could come to God. And so, since their tradition was just that, tradition, Jesus almost made it a point to regularly violate their traditions so that he could more fully fulfill God's law, so he could share God's love. And as we go into the coming weeks, we're going to see more examples of that. Particularly, I think the next two weeks or so, we'll we'll look at how he showed God's love to Gentiles, to non-Jews, the people that they said, you need to wash if you get anywhere near them. Instead, he went to them and showed God's grace. But why is Jesus so passionate about this? Because he knows that living by tradition makes any attempt at the true worship of God null and void. If we base our lives on tradition, then our worship is a farce. It is folly. If we're just following rules, then we're just living the way others tell us to do. We're not following God from a sincere heart. And when worship does not come from the heart, that worship is worthless. That's what Jesus said there, and the Apostle Paul speaks about it as well. This is a really great passage. It's a little longer, but I love how Paul conveys this. He's speaking to Christians, followers of Christ, and he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, all that means is he's saying, if you say you live for Christ now, for Jesus, then why, as if you still live for the world, you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do you submit to man-made rules? Like, do not handle do not taste, do not touch. He even says these are according to human precepts and teachings. And then he goes in for the kill. He says these rules indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look like a wise thing to do because they promote self-made religion. They promote asceticism. That means denying things to yourself. They promote being severe to your body, and that may make you feel good about yourself. But, he says, they are of no value, not some value, but no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, what we want to chase after, our sin. Not eating certain foods, not touching certain things, that may seem spiritual, but it does not ultimately keep us from sin. At the end of the day, living by rules just doesn't work. It doesn't cleanse our heart, and it has no value for the heart change that God desires. And in fact, when we do that, when we abandon God's word for those human traditions, it actually leads us farther away from God. It leaves us enslaved to our own pride. And as the Christian author C.S. Lewis said, pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. If we live our life by rules that a man has come up with, then when we do them, we feel good about ourselves. We think about what we're doing. I'm doing these things. I'm doing good stuff. I must be in a good position. But when we're focused on ourselves, we'll find it very difficult to focus on and to worship 
God. And Jesus is saying that is where the Pharisees are right now. They're really worshiping themselves and their own pride, not God. But it gets even worse because he says living by tradition also leads to rejecting God's word. We just live by old tradition. We are, end up rejecting what God has said. Jesus actually accuses the Pharisees of being experts at rejecting, sidestepping, setting aside God's commandments so that they can establish and set up and observe their own traditions. As he says in verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. He's saying you have set up your tradition, the things you do, as an idol against God. You're saying it's more important than what the Lord has said because what you have done is you have added to God's word. You've said what I say is just as important as what God says. And this is specifically warned against in Scripture. One really powerful place is in the book of Revelation, which says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, well, then God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, well, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. This verse is helpful for showing us what I think our temptation as humans is when we approach God's Word. We either want to add to what's in Scripture, adding extra rules, extra things to do, or take away and ignore what God has said. And the Bible addresses both of those problems and issues. And in another message, I take time to talk about how we take away from God's Word, how we ignore what God has said, how we're not listening to Him here. I will get to it later in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has some strong words later about how we live for him, how we follow him. He speaks particularly about sexual ethics, what that looks like, and and he is very clear about how we take away from God's word. But that is not our message today. Instead, we're focusing on that other half. What happens when we add to God's word, when we add our rules, our ideas to Scripture? And when we add to God's word, we actually subtract from what God has said. Because we make what we say important, it lowers the value of what God has said. As Pastor R.C. Sproul put it, instead of putting our attention on the things that God is concerned about, human regulations cause us to lose sight of what concerns Him. God has said, this is what I care about, and we say, great, here's what we should do. Then we're not looking at what God has said. And when we throw away the truth of God's Word, It can lead to devastating results for us and for those we care about. And Jesus gives an example of this by quoting the Old Testament law, what God said about caring for parents. He's quoting Exodus 20, verse 12 and 21, 17. Verse 10, he says, For Moses said from God, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Followers of God were told they needed to honor, they needed to support, they needed to care for their father and mother. And they should not revile, curse, disrespect, or speak evil of them. The consequence of that was death. The principle he's saying is the, God said it's important to care for your parents, to respect them, to love them, to take care of them. But then in verse 11, Jesus changes it, and note the emphasis he puts here. He says, but you say. I don't know if he pointed a finger, but that's, that's the implication that I get there. He's saying to Pharisees, you say. They're not Moses. Their words are not inspired by God, but their tradition 
allows them to dedicate their possessions to the Lord. And so they abdicate, they give up their responsibility toward their parents. As he says in verse 11, if you say, a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God. In other words, he's saying, the Jewish leaders taught people, what you can do is you can designate some of your property and say, this property is Corban, which means this property is going to go to God. And that means nothing else can happen to that property. And so if you've said that all your property or possessions are going to God, then you don't have to give money to your parents when they're in need. You can say to your parents, sorry, I can't help you. My money is going to go to God, not you. Now the catch in that is when that money went to God, how that money went to God, well, that could be determined later. It could even go to God after your death. After I die, it's going to God, so I can't give it to you. I can use it for me, but I can't give it to you because it's going to go to God after I die. And whatever the parents might have gained or used for their survival instead stays with the children indefinitely. In reality, this is a way for a selfish heart to not be bothered with caring for their parents. In other words, their vow, their spiritual commitment becomes more important than caring for those God has entrusted to them. And the result is you could look very spiritual. You'd say, I am giving my property to God and at the same time not care for those who raised you, for someone who may be in need to neglect your duty to them. This completely violates God's desire for how his people are to love their parents. As 1 Timothy 5.8 explains, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, then he has denied the faith. He is worse than an unbeliever. That's God's opinion. But what they said was, well, there's a way out of that. And they go even further. Jesus says that even if someone wanted to later help their parents, they couldn't if they had dedicated it. That's what he means in verse 12. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. Do you see the conflict here? God's word said, honor your father and mother. It was meant to help those who were weak and in need. There wasn't social security. There wasn't retirement. When you got to a certain age, you needed your children to provide for you. That was God's intention, how he designed it. But the Pharisees, by their actions, had made God's command, his desire, void. They used their tradition to get out of what they knew was the right thing to do. They're rejecting what was important for a minor detail. And that's why Jesus says the result of all this is that they make God's word void, of no effect. They nullify it. They attempt to cancel it. They invalidate it by their tradition. We may wonder, how did this happen? How does this come together? All they're doing is they're saying you should do this other thing. But you see, when we teach the commandments of men, when we focus on what people have said, then that leads to moving away, spending less time with the commandments of God. You say, well, I don't read the Bible very much. I listen to this teacher or, or this preacher. I listen to what they say. Well, that, that may sound okay, but that leads to less time in God's word, which then if that person you're listening to tells you to do something against the Bible, well, then you're rejecting what God has said. The end result is that God's word is void for your life. 
you've decided to listen to a person more than God. And the great tragedy in all this is that this tradition started from a good place. It started from they wanted to protect people. They wanted to, they even say in other documents, want to put a fence around God's law. But by doing that, it actually promotes sin and rebellion against God. And at the end of our verse, Jesus says, this isn't the only area they do this. He says, and many such things you do. It's one example among many. Let me give you another example. Again, from Matthew 23, Jesus speaks to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe. You give 10% of mint, dill, and cumin. You give 10% of every spice that you use, and yet you have neglected the weightier, the more important matters of the law, like justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The Apostle Paul will address a similar concern in the book of Romans. He speaks to those who are proud in how they keep the law. And he says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. You can't keep all of it. And as you say, oh, I keep the law, you end up breaking it. And this is not a new problem. This has always been present for God's people. We can see this even if we go to the Old Testament. And it was really a struggle for me to cut down to which one I wanted to use in reference. There was a really good one in Isaiah 58 about fasting, how the people were fasting, but they weren't following other things God had said. Instead, I went with Isaiah 1 about prayer. Look what God says. He says, when you, my people, when you spread out your hands, when you pray to me, he says, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. How do you do that? Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. These are the kinds of things you ought to have done without neglecting the rest. And we can see this again and again throughout history. Sadly, there are many who have thought that they are living for God and following Him when really all they have done is reject God's commands, His instructions to follow human traditions. And it may be easy for us to say, well, yeah, those are all pretty silly things that they've done. But the truth is, we have a temptation to do the same. And we should ask ourselves, what does this look like in our lives? How can we have pride in our religious rituals? How can we have pride in our lifestyle over God's word? Often this is seen when we judge someone's faith by something we see them doing. Say, well, they do this, or they practice their faith this way, so they must not be close to God. Or when we think that our behavior and our choices make us better than someone else. And if we're not careful, that attitude may reveal that we, like the Pharisees, are hypocrites. We're pretending to be Christians, followers of God, when in reality, we are far from Jesus Christ. Jesus himself warned us that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Thinking high things of ourselves 
is just a road to God bringing us down. How do we see this? What does this look like? Well, it looks like an attitude that says, well, real Christians do this, or real Christians would never do that about something that is not in God's Word. And we say, well, that, that seems silly. Well, it happens. Yes, it can be silly, and when, when it's silly, it just shows how foolish it is to elevate something that's, that we've came up with as better than God's Word. If I told you real Christians are rooting for the Eagles tonight in the Super Bowl, you would say, that's nowhere there in the Bible. But, but friends, but friends, as silly as that is, that is just what it looks like when we add our own traditions and rules and equate them at the same level. What if we say, well, real Christians dress up for church? Now, now do not misunderstand me. The Bible speaks about that there's a basis for being modest in our dress, that we should give God our best, but friends, we are not God's dress code enforcers. There are many different cultures, many different times that have worshipped God, and that leads to many different styles of clothing. Look, I wear a suit every day, but I don't care what you wear when you come. I'm just glad that you're here to learn from God and worship Him. Maybe some say, well, real Christians would never vote for that person. Yes, the Bible does inform our politics, it informs our political decisions, our voting, but it's a great mistake to assume God's favor for your choice and condemn other followers of Christ because they make different choices and have different priorities. To be clear, there are immoral reasons to choose to vote for someone or support a political party, but there's also faithful reasons as well. And so hear me, if your vote is bathed in prayer, if you are submitted to God, if your desire is to follow God, then I may not like who you vote for, I may disagree with it, but I cannot say it is a sin and that you are opposed to God. We could go on and on with this. We could say, real Christians don't watch that movie or TV show. Real Christians don't play that game. Real Christians don't go to that place. Real Christians don't drink that drink. And hear me, there may be many wise reasons for refraining from one activity or another. But when we elevate that restriction to God says, don't do this, then we've gone too far. And I don't want you to hear me saying, so it doesn't matter what we do. None of this is an excuse for sin. None of it is an excuse for misusing or abusing the resources God has given us, the truth of his word. And in fact, as we grow in faith, as we grow closer to God, more than likely we will exercise more and more self-discipline. We will ourselves decide, you know, I'm not going to engage in that form of entertainment. I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to pursue that. We, we more often than not, will come to those decisions, but we do that because we want to, to honor God, not because there's some rule that makes God happy, not because that's what he says, because we want to. But on the other hand, if like the Pharisees, we live by tradition, then we neglect what God has said. That may look like if we go to church every week, then we think, well, that gives me permission. I can demean and insult others online. Or if I do religious things, religious rituals, if I do certain traditions and actions, then I don't have to be kind to people that I don't like or that I don't agree with. I read something that really that made me really sad this week. It was somebody said, I'm paraphrasing them, that, well, according to my religion, they're are people who are not worthy of my empathy. And I don't know what religion that person thinks they're following, but I can tell you that's not biblical Christianity. Because the truth 
as God's word says, as James puts it, is that if anyone thinks he is religious, but he does not bridle, he does not control his tongue, then he deceives his heart. And he is very clear, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. He's speaking to self-control of our speech, care for the suffering, the lonely, and at the same time having purity before God in our hearts. That is real Christianity. I like how J.C. Ryle puts it. He says, it must not content us to take our bodies to church if we leave our hearts at home. If you come here week after week and your heart does not change, your life does not change, then I'd say there's little of eternal value happening in your heart and in your life. God's word is supposed to change us. What am I trying to say? What is Jesus trying to convey to these Pharisees? Well, he's trying to convey to us that we should live by what God has said more than what man has said. We should live by what God has said, live by his word. That doesn't mean we ignore what people say. We'll say, well, you're just a person. I'm not going to listen to you. No, listen, learn, but put God's word first and foremost. Obey him over traditions. Don't try to yeah, but God. Like, yeah, God, I know your word says this, but this guy says this, and you don't know what that person said to me. No, no, his word must come first. And it's always been that way. The verse we read before the sermon, Samuel is talking and he says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, doing religious tradition, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen to God than offering the fat of rams. So friends, we should ask ourselves, are we driven by the text, by God's word? Or are we driven by human tradition? And please don't mishear me. I am not saying tradition is a bad thing. If you know me well, you know I love traditions. I am extremely a person of routine. I have basically the same breakfast every single day of my life. There are many routines and structures in my life. I love routine. I love structure. I appreciate how traditions can be useful ways for us to aid our lives and our thoughts. Used properly, traditions can help us focus on God and know Him more and grow spiritually. I'm not a fan of changing things just for the sake of change, not at all. But at the same time, it is okay to move on from traditions that do not come from God's Word. And traditions that overtake God's Word should be removed as soon as possible. If a tradition in our life morphs from something that's useful into something that's necessary, then it's now an idol. And God says he will have no other gods before him. I like the wisdom of what Pastor Warren Wearsby says here. We must constantly beware lest tradition take the place of truth. And it does us good to examine our church traditions in light of God's word and to be courageous enough to make changes. Because captivity to mere tradition destroys true faith. Now, friends, when I'm saying this, you may be like, what bold and crazy thing is Pastor John about to propose? There's nothing specific coming here. There's not some radical change I'm proposing in some way, shape, or form. We're going through the gospel of Mark. This is the next passage we came to. 
So maybe the lesson we need to take from this is that instead of bemoaning the behavior of others, of trying to correct the behavior of others based on our traditions, we should instead seek to examine if our hearts are right before God. Because then we can approach another believer that we're concerned about, we can approach them out of concern rather than judgment. The Apostle Paul would put it this way. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, which he says is according to human tradition or according to the elemental spirits of this world. See to it, no one takes you captive to tradition and not according to Christ. Friends, true Christianity, it's not a faith that exists to make you feel good about yourself. It's a faith that should provoke you to examine your heart and your actions before a holy God. And if you do that, what you will find every time is that you fall, fall far, far short of him. That his standard is far higher than you could ever possibly hope to achieve. Oh, oh, but praise God, brothers and sisters, because true Christianity, saving faith, eternal salvation, it is not based on what we do, it is based on what He, what Jesus Christ has already done for us. If we mess that up, though, if we make our tradition, I'm doing these things so God's happy with me, if we mess that up, then we miss the point. So let me ask you, do you know that truth? Do you know that Jesus? Is your spiritual life based on, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this? And friend, you are on the wrong track. Because you'll never be enough. You'll never do good enough. Instead, turn to Him. Turn away. The word the Bible uses is repent. Turn from sin. Believe and trust in what Christ has done. Say, no, I'm right with God because of what He has done, not what I do. I encourage you, if you haven't done that, then talk to someone about that. Call out to Him. Say, God, I'm going to stop trying to live for myself. Help me to know Jesus Christ. And if we do know him, then yes, knowing Jesus changes the way that we live. Our behavior is different. Our actions are different. But that should come from a place of gratitude, not from a desire to put on a public performance. A heart that loves and worships God is worth so much more than religious actions, traditions done to be seen by others. Sincere faith, true faith in Jesus lives for him even if no one ever sees no one ever cares, if no one does the same thing, it still lives for him. And it does that because God's word is better than tradition and because our Savior, Jesus Christ alone, is worthy.